Welcome to the Animal Law Matters podcast presented by K&R Animal Law. My name's Mike and I'm here with my colleague Narman. We are partners of K&R Animal Law, which is a private law firm dedicated to helping animals and their human defenders. We created this podcast to give listeners a broad overview of animal law from a legal, philosophical, theoretical and practical perspective. Our aim is to help educate our listeners about animal law matters and encourage them to take action to help create a better world for animals. In this episode, we catch up with the Honourable Emma Hurst, MLC, from the Animal Justice Party, and Tess Vickery, who is the policy advisor to Emma Hurst. On the call, we also have KNR Animal Law practical legal training student, Ashritha Kumar. Let's get into it. Tess and Emma, how and why did you get involved in animal advocacy? Uh, So this is Emma here. Um, I I guess I traced my passion for animal protection all the way back to when I was a young child. And I recall a moment where I was cradling a hen in my arms. And I realised that the hen was purring. We had two rescue cats at home um, who we were very close with, both my sister and I. And I realised in that moment as a young child holding this hen that, this, that there's really no difference between a hen and a cat, um, that they both have the ability to feel pain and they both have the ability to suffer. Um, and obviously they show joy in the same way by purring. So it was really a moment of enlightenment for me as a young child. And I went home and I wrote a letter to my parents telling them that I wanted to go vegetarian. But it was many years later when someone simply handed me a flyer on the street and I went home and I you know, looked up all these websites and I read about what happens to male chicks that were macerated at one day old in the egg industry and uh, bobby calves that are ripped and torn away from their mothers in the dairy industry. And it was literally like somebody just turned the lights on. And it was really at that moment that I knew that I wanted to be part of a great movement of change that was really going to advocate for these animals and um, and to ensure change. Wow. Yeah, and for me, um, I think my journey to animal advocacy started quite a bit later to Emma and quite a different story. I really ended up finding animal advocacy through the law. Um, it was in my final year of law school that I I uh, happened to see that they were offering a class in animal law for the first time ever. And I thought, well, that sounds really interesting. You know, I'd always grown up loving animals. I had beautiful rescue crap growing up, but I hadn't given much thought other than that about our relationship with animals. Um, and when I took that subject, which was taught by um, the amazing Jed Goodfellow, who now works at the RSPCA, it just really opened my eyes. I was completely horrified to learn about how poorly we treat animals, particularly in the animal agribusiness industry, and um, you know how little our laws protect these animals in circumstances where I think a lot of people assume there are laws to protect animals. So that was a really transformative experience for me. I ended up going vegetarian to the first class and, and later vegan, and then that sort of has led me to what I'm doing today. Wow, excellent. Yeah, and I, I think, Tess, a, a lot of people who study law go into to the, the study of law because they are passionate about justice and they want to promote justice. And, and I can't think of a bigger injustice that's occurring in Australia than the legal treatment of, of animals that are used for human consumption. 
Yeah, I absolutely agree. And I was definitely someone who went into the law, you know, caring about social justice. I always thought I'd end up working somewhere like legal aid or a community legal centre fighting for those kinds of issues. And it wasn't until I discovered animal law and, and learnt about what went on that made me realise that they're the, they're the individuals that are in most need of, of lawyers and legal protection. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, thanks, Emma and Tess, for sharing those stories. I think there's a lot of people with, you know, everyone's got their own kind of story as to you know, how they got interested in these things. And it's really nice to hear um, from you both. Um, I've got a question for Emma. So, Emma, how did you get elected into New South Wales Parliament, given that the AJP is a minor party? So, I mean, the AJP was really born out of the fact that, um, well, really about the failure of any other political party to properly stand up for animals. Um, and even though there are some parties that kind of give a nod in the direction of animal welfare, um, there are so many animal protection issues that just are not being addressed and not being addressed properly through politics. Um, so it, it's still a very new party as well. But in the first New South Wales election, we got somebody elected, um, and that was the Honourable Mark Pearson, who's my colleague now in the Upper House. Uh, following that, we got somebody elected in Victoria, um, the Honourable Andy Medic, and um, and then so the next year we we felt that there was a good chance that I could be elected, um, considering we got Mark in in the previous election, and I guess for me personally, um, it was really you know coming out of 15 years in working in animal protection. I've got a psychology background. Um, I worked for people for the ethical treatment of animals, animal liberation, wild animal protection. And when Mark Pearson, who, who worked with me at Animal Liberation, actually approached me and said, would you consider putting your hand up and running for the election? I really asked myself, where am I best placed for animals? And looking at the dire need for animal protection laws, um, particularly here in New South Wales, where we've got a Liberal national government, um, I felt that it was going to be a really big uphill battle from where we were started, but that we absolutely needed people representing animals within the parliament. And I knew that, you know, we had these massive um, lists of volunteers. Um, so I just worked very closely with the state office. Um, I ended up doing some training actually with um, Bernie Sanders primary fundraiser and so we took a lot of the strategies from that to actually build the fundraising platform for my election which we did with the state office um, and then we just did a whole lot of comms around the election we did placards we did um, grassroots outreach but we also did a whole lot of media and really pulling on all the experience that I've had working within animal protection for those many years leading up to it as well um, and yeah, and, and, and we managed to be successful. Um, and obviously now having two MPs in New South Wales, it does mean that the, the other parties within, within Parliament are taking us much more seriously. Well, that, that's, that's a great journey. With the AJP being a minor party, did you get elected essentially because preferences flowed onto the AJP from other parties? And if, if that's the case, how can a minor party uh, increase their odds of being elected in, in future elections? So in New South Wales, we don't have, like in each different state and territory, it's a little bit different. So some states and territories have a really solid preferencing system where those votes 
flow down to other parties and it's decided by the other political parties. We don't actually have that system in New South Wales. Right. So people choose their own preferences when they actually go in to vote. Um, so yes, we got in on preferences, but we got in on preferences that people themselves decided. Um, so when you when you go to New South oh, Wales, right. people will hand out a how to preference how to how to vote card. Um, but nobody has to actually follow that. And in fact, a lot of people don't follow that. Um, so even though we had Labor and the Greens placing us quite highly, um, we still got a huge number of preferences from people across the political spectrum. Um, and so that's really what helped us get through. Oh, that, that's awesome to hear. And this is a question for both of you. What, what does a day in the life of each of you generally look like? Um, well, I'll start first. Um, much to the horror um, of my team, which Tess can probably attest to, um, I'm usually up at about 4.40 a.m. Um, wow. And sometimes my team will get messages from me because I'll have sort of some, some brain part of an idea that I need to suddenly put in writing. <laughs> um, but from there, I, I mean, I try to get some exercise done. And then our, our weeks are kind of very split into two different styles of working. We often have one or two non-sitting weeks, and so a lot of that time is working um, around prepping for the sitting weeks. And then on the sitting weeks, um, you know, we're debating legislation, we're putting up amendments, um, we're um, putting up our own notices of motion and debating those, going through government legislation. And a lot of my time is really split between working closely with tests around um, government legislation and our legislation and also working with Rosie who's another member of our team um, working on media and social media and trying to get those messages out there to the public as well around what we're doing um, in regards to that legislation. Um, so I mean most of our work probably I mean we work pretty solid days on non-sitting weeks but um, probably the hardest I've ever worked in my life is on, on some of those sitting weeks. Um, it's it's amazing the amount of work that we can manage to get through. But mm. um, I mean, we could be sitting here until midnight. And so we often just, and because it's so busy um, and because it's so time pressured, we often work through breaks and, and don't really stop, but also manage to pump out some pretty solid work in very, very short time frames, um, which I'm sure Tess can probably give her perspective on as well from, from um, being sort of behind the desk, whereas I'm often down in the house as well. Yeah, yeah, I think um, working as a lawyer definitely prepared me well for working in New South Wales Parliament because as I'm sure any lawyers listening know, we often work in very late nights. But I can probably attest too that working in Parliament has definitely been some of the hardest work I've done, but also some of the most satisfying. So I think a, a day in Parliament is a lot like a day in court in some days, in some ways, you know, it, it, you, you go in and you know it's going to be a big day. I'm generally uh, up in our office most of the day watching Emma down in Parliament on a live stream. So I'm sort of half listening to that, making sure I'm catching everything that's important that's going on or that anything that Emma's saying I'm prepared for, but at the same time I'm working on our project. So that could be, you know, a notice of motion we're planning to debate that day or someone else's notice of motion we want to speak to and support. Um, I'm also generally the first one who looks at any government bills that are being put up that day. So reading through those, getting a sense of what they're proposing. Is it something we want to support? Is it something that we want to oppose or try to amend? And if we do want to amend, working on those amendments. Um, it's always very fast paced, as Emma said. We're usually sending a thousand texts to each other the whole day. But um, yeah, that's sort of how the days run. Wow. And I'm often um, throwing an amendment to test 
um, like 10 minutes before any amendments will be closing and we won't be able to um, do anything and I'll have a thought and I'll say, oh, we should amend this. Um, yeah. And um, very calm. She's sort of like got this big calm superpower. So that helps us keep going. Jeez, it, it sounds incredible. It sounds like it's, it's very much a, a team effort. You need you need a really solid team around you. But uh, it's, it's really incredible what you guys are achieving in each day. Yeah, absolutely. It's almost like um, I actually explained it to somebody once. It's like that um, that game of trust where you have to fall backwards and let someone catch you. Yeah, right. Uh, I think on those sitting days, we're so busy that, like I'll say, Tess, I want this, and it's like <laughs> I just have to trust that Tess will do it exactly how it needs to be because there's no chance to review it. There's no chance to change it. It's just do it and do it now. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. It's like falling back on each other and yeah, very very much working as a team. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, and, and Tess, it's interesting to hear about the transferable skills that you've discussed between being a, uh, working as a lawyer and um, now working as a policy advisor. And so I've got, I've got a question for you, Tess, um, and I'm, I'm sure that many of our listeners would probably love to be in your position. And how did you get this job? Yeah, so look, I certainly feel very lucky to be in this job working with Emma. Um, I guess, you know, as I said, I, I really developed my passion for, for animal advocacy when I was at university and studying law. But as all of your listeners will know, there's not a huge amount of jobs going in animal law, um, particularly not eight years ago when I graduated from university. So I ended up going into commercial litigation, working in some class action um, law, which I really enjoyed. And I did find ways to sort of incorporate animal advocacy into my work. I ended up establishing an animal law pro bono program at my firm so I could do some work with the Animal Law Institute and help them out with some of their great work on puppy farm cases. But I really wanted Amazing. to do more and, and you know, um, focus more of my time on animal advocacy. So in 2018, I decided to take a bit of a leap and I moved to the United States to get my Masters of Animal Law, um, which I did at Lewis and Clark Law School, which is a really world-renowned program in animal law. And it was such an amazing year and it really allowed me to to learn about what's going on in the US animal movement as well as just considering animal issues and animal laws more broadly. Um, and it was sort of getting to the end of that program that I realized, wow, I'm gonna have to come back to Australia and get a job. Um, and so I basically just started reaching out to any animal protection groups that um, I could think of, just sending them an email saying, hey, I'm coming back to Australia, I've got this degree and I wanna be useful, you know, do you know of anything, do you have anything going? And one of the groups I reached out to was World Animal Protection and they, ended up sending me back an email saying, look, no, we don't have anything going, but Emma Hurst, who previously worked with us um, and has now been elected as part of the Animal Justice Party, which of course I'd heard about, is looking for a policy advisor and we think you two would be a good fit. And so they alerted me to that role and I applied along with everyone else and that's how I ended up with this job, which is very exciting. <laughs> well, that's it's a real testament to just putting in the hard yards and persisting and and you know, if you if you do that, you can end up in in a dream job like you've got there, Tess. Yeah, absolutely. And Emma, you were recently instrumental in passing laws designed to protect animal victims of domestic violence. Could you please tell us about the laws that passed and how you did it? Yeah, look, I think this relates back to my psychology work as well. So I was always very familiar with the research that shows the link between domestic violence and animal abuse. Um, we know that people who are victims of violence delay leaving um, for a very long period of time because they can't leave with animals. 
Um, and we also know that people who are violent to humans are also very likely to be violent towards human beings as well. So that was something that I came in with a lot of information and passion about when I entered Parliament. And it's obviously an area where there is significant reform that's needed and is really long overdue. So earlier this year, we held a roundtable in Parliament. We had vets, we had the RSPCA, we had domestic violence survivors, we had domestic violence services, we had the tenants union, we had the police, um, and we also had um, some staff from the Attorney General's office, and the Attorney General is also the Minister for Domestic Violence. Um, I actually spoke with him in budget estimates about this issue, and he indicated to us then that he was particularly interested um, in hearing more about this link. Um, and so that's why we asked him to come along to the roundtable or his staff to come along to the roundtable. And we really nutted out with all of these groups what the main issues were and what reforms could be done. And one thing that we all really recognised was that no reform was really going to fix the situation, but there was so much that had to be done and we needed to start somewhere. So. Um, after that, we met with the Attorney General a couple more times and we spoke quite a lot with his office. And they ended up running their own consultation process, which is still actually ongoing. Um, but from both that roundtable and their own consultation process and the work with the domestic violence groups that we've been doing, um, following that roundtable, two DV groups actually did their own research into the link between domestic violence and animal abuse. Um, we ended up with um, some legislation that the Attorney General put forward that in specifically included animals on apprehended domestic violence orders, um, recognised that um, animal abuse was a form of intimidation in domestic violence, and that's now in the Crimes Act. And the Attorney General also ensured um, half a million dollars to upgrade refuges to ensure that they become more animal friendly so that uh, people can leave domestic violence situations with their animals. Um, and there was also some grants for other projects around the space of domestic violence and animal abuse to ensure that more is being done in that particular space. Um, and when I said before that sometimes I come up with last minute amendments, this was actually one of those bills. Um, actually, just before we went down, I said, actually, Tess, I think we should put in an amendment, um, which we did and it passed. So we also um, put up an amendment so that the legislation recognises that there is a link between domestic violence and animal abuse. So that became part of the package as well. Um, now there's still some reforms that we would like to see come through. Um, and the Attorney General has told us that the door is definitely not closed, that this isn't definitely the end. Uh, we would also like to see that people who are leaving domestic violence situations to be able to get custody of animals um, because animals still fall under property law one of the things that we identified in that roundtable was the whole lot of issues around um, animals ending up in property disputes and being treated no different to a couch or a chair really in regards to the, you know, their legal personhood and being able to ensure that where there's financial abuse in domestic violence situations that animals don't, aren't seen as the property of the abuser because they paid for vet bills or they paid for food, for example, which is what the courts are now currently relying on to work out who the animal um, quote unquote belongs to. So there's still a lot of work to be done, 
um, and the consultation period is still ongoing. So hopefully we'll have some, some more good news next year in this space as well. That, that's an incredible outcome. Thank you so much for all the all your hard work on that. that that's really inspiring to hear. It is an amazing achievement. And have you heard of any other states or territories or Commonwealth potentially that um, might be interested in kind of following New South Wales lead in this respect? Absolutely, yeah. So we've been speaking with um, our Victorian MP who's very keen to take it on as the Animal Justice Party in Victoria. Um, and he's fairly confident, I believe, that the government there will also listen to him. So hopefully we'll see the same um, legislation go through in Victoria next year. Um, and I think if we've got New South Wales and Victoria, there's really ample um, push to be able to get it through in other states as well. Yeah, that's so good to hear. Um, and I guess that follows into our next question, which is, um, Emma, what, what do you consider to be your biggest achievement since coming to office? And, and Tess, what do you consider to be your biggest achievement since starting as a policy advisor? Um, look, probably um, that work around domestic violence has been really successful and, and, and a really big achievement. Um, another big achievement that we, we think um, is, is going to happen very soon um, is an increase in the penalty system for animal abuse in New South Wales. So New South Wales currently has some of the lowest penalties for animal abuse of any state and territory across Australia. Um, an act of animal abuse in New South Wales could see a maximum fine of only $5,500. Um, in Victoria, it's nearly 40000 In Western Australia, it's 50000 um, and it has absolutely nothing to deter animal abuse, but it also implies that animal abuse is a low-level crime, which it absolutely is not. Um, so we have been campaigning to increase those penalties. We did get some indication early on from the Minister that because the, but the government actually did a public consultation, which ended in 2018, which showed that all of the enforcement agencies desperately want an increase in New South Wales, that there's massive community support for it, the government has the numbers to pass an increase in penalties um, in the parliament. Um, but he then suddenly decided that he wouldn't probably look at it until the end of the review of the Animal Welfare Action Plan. Um, and we're getting indications that that could be four to five years away, um, which is absolutely absurd. There's no reason why the penalties can't increase now. Um, so we ended up running our own campaign. We did um, a fair bit of media around it. Um, Tess and I screwed together some legislation in about a week. <laughs> um, this was another one of my last minute ideas. I said, let's write it and, and actually table it next week. Um, so um, Tess being her ever amazing self managed to throw it together. Um, and we ended up tabling our own legislation to increase the penalties. We'd also previously passed a notice of motion about increasing the penalties, which passed in the upper house. So the government knew that if we actually took our legislation to debate, we could pass it in the upper house. And in response to our legislation, I think it was about two weeks after we announced our legislation, um, the government suddenly announced that they were going to do legislation and their penalties were very close to ours. We haven't seen that legislation. I don't think that they've probably written it yet, um, but they're obviously responding to the, the pressure campaign that we put on to them. Um, so, we're, we're hopefully seeing an increase in penalties next year. We'll keep the pressure up. 
Um, we've um, done the first read of our legislation. We've tabled the legislation, um, but we can take that to debate early next year as the government starts stalling again. Yeah, and look, I think for me, um, some of the most exciting work that um, we've been involved with is Emma's work on inquiries. I mean, we've been able to get up so many inquiries on animal issues that other members opposite us in Parliament have started to complain about it, that we're talking about animals in <laughs> Parliament than we are on human issues, which I think is a great testament to the work that we're doing that Emma's doing. Um, so we had the inquiry into um, the use of battery cages earlier um, in last year and then this year we've been working really hard on an inquiry on the use of animals in entertainment so specifically exotic animals in circuses and also dolphin areas two of which are you know really dying industries in New South Wales but are still mm. holding on and still have animals under their care who we know from all the expert evidence are, are suffering and, and, and not having their welfare looked after so um, Emma participated in to inquiry healings earlier this year, which heard from experts, you know, in Australia and around the world on these issues. And we've been working really hard this week to finalise the report on that, on that matter. And we're really hopeful that that report is going to have some positive recommendations for these animals, particularly in respect to the use of dolphinariums and dolphin shows, which, as I said, is such an outdated industry that the community really um, isn't supporting anymore. Um, We've also managed to pass a number of notices of motion in Parliament, which is really exciting because it shows that we've got, you know, the majority of the support of the Upper House in New South Wales from a range of different parties who are supporting us on animal issues. So we passed a notice of motion on tougher penalties, as Emma said, related to puppy farms, on the use of fur. And we also recently passed a notice of motion calling on the government to implement uh, immunocontraceptives in respect to the management of wild horses in Kosciuszko National Park. Um, that's obviously a really controversial issue here in, in New South Wales and around Australia. And it came about because of a lot of work that Emma and I did during lockdown. We, we managed to meet with um, some experts in the US who were really on the cutting edge of immunocontraceptive technology. They've been using it there on horses for 20 years and they're making huge strides in how effective it can be and how easy it can be to implement and so we gathered all that information we ended up meeting with the, um, the Minister for Environment here about it as well as New South Wales Parks to sort of connect these experts with the government and the work that they're doing and actually in the end the government ended up supporting that motion so we're really excited to see where that will lead and, and hopefully see immunocontraceptives implemented in New South Wales very soon. It's, it's, it's incredible you guys have been so busy and I, I'd say from an out, outsider's perspective perhaps Another huge achievement that, that you guys uh, have managed to achieve is is just getting the voice into Parliament that animals animals lives matters and that this is not a fringe issue and that the number of people advocating for animals is increasing and I think from all the speeches that I've seen Emma make in Parliament uh, that that's been one one of the most I think important uh, roles that Emma has played as well is just speaking out in a public forum like that to advocate for animals. Yeah, how many notices of motion did we give, Tess? Yeah, we, had, we ended up doing this year 49 notices of motion just on issues relating to um, animals in agribusinesses, so issues relating to farmed animals. Um, and that was to represent the 4.9 billion land and aquatic animals that are killed in the animal agribusiness industry each year. And that's just on you know, that category, obviously. There was a huge other number of motions that Emma did as well. So I think that is a huge achievement that you know, members of parliament 
who might not have never heard about these issues before are being forced to sit there, you know, every week and hear Emma educate them on these really important issues whether they want to hear about it or not. So I think that's really exciting. Yeah, absolutely. And and I, I'm not sure if it's called an inauguration speech or the, the speech that Emma gave mm -hmm. when she first entered Parliament. I mean, that that's an incredible speech as well. It's in, on the public record and, you know, thousands of people, tens of thousands of people have and will watch that speech. Uh, so it's it's really just incredible what you guys are able to achieve. And what projects are you currently working on and, and what things do you want to achieve in the future? So probably our biggest campaign that we're sort of right in the, in the middle of right now is the campaign on puppy farming in New South Wales. And um, this has really come out of the fact that Victoria has introduced regulations which effectively stamp out puppy farming. Um, WA looks to be doing the same thing. And we're hearing from councils that all these puppy farmers are just moving across the border into New South Wales and we're very quickly becoming the puppy farming capital of Australia. Um, and we know obviously during COVID, more and more people were um, bringing dogs into their family. And of course, that pushes up even more demand for animals from puppy farms. Um, so puppy farms are essentially intensive factory farming of dogs for the pet trade industry. And it's perfectly legal here in New South Wales. You can have a facility with 400 female dogs living in concrete barren pens and being forced to just pump out litter after litter after litter until their body literally collapses, um, which is absolutely horrific. So we've also been writing legislation. We've based it a lot on what was already put through in Victoria. Um, and of course, we've also been working with a lot of other parties to try to get cross-party support for this. We've actually got a protest um, and we've got uh, coming up, we've got Labor, we've got um, the Greens, we've got Independents. And so we've, and, and as Tess mentioned, you know, we've got that notice of motion as well. And that ended up getting the support of the Christian Democrats and One Nation as well. So we're very hopeful that we can get this legislation passed in the upper house. It's a really bizarre situation for the government because um, we can't ever understand how the government are going to vote down legislation to protect dogs um, and actually supporting the puppy farming industry here in New South Wales. Um, but at the moment, they're you know putting up real sham attempts to pretend that they're working on this issue. They gave a $400,000 grant to the RSPCA um, to stamp out puppy farming. Um, that was sort of what they called it. It was, an, it was a puppy farming task force. But of course, that puts the RSPCA in a very difficult position because puppy farming is still legal. So the RSPCA can find these puppy farms, they can investigate them. Um, but while puppy farming remains legal, there's going to be a lot of situations where the RSPCA can't prosecute them and can't take the dogs out of these facilities. So we will be fighting for that legislation early next year. Uh, we're just finalising the draft of our legislation. Um, so that will be yeah, probably one of the main projects and, and finishing up our work on top of penalties. Um, they will be our two big projects kind of beginning the year. And one other project that we're really excited to keep working on next year is that um, we've been working on a bill that would make discriminatory treatment on the basis of speciesism illegal in New South Wales. So this is really groundbreaking legislation. We don't think it's been done anywhere else in the world. And we've been working directly with Peter Singer, who of course um, 
made famous the term speciesism in his book Animal Liberation on how that might be able to work and, and how we could introduce that into New South Wales Parliament and have a really powerful debate, hopefully, about the way we use animals and, and how we can justify treating some animals better than others and how we justify treating humans better than other animals. So um, we're really excited to, to work on that. And we're also looking to do some further work on the issue of animals in research. Um, we saw earlier this year real outcry in the community after um, Alfred a baboon escaped from research uh, research facility right here in New South Wales and sort of ended up running the streets of Sydney. And it really shone a light on the issue of, of primates in research with so many people in the community not even knowing that these practices are still going on. So that's something we really want to try to work on in 2021. Wow. Wow, there are some amazing things you're working on there. <laughs> and I'd be so interested to see how the speciesism legislative amendments might work and that uh, yeah, that's absolutely groundbreaking and um, yeah, very interesting to interested to see how that plays out. Um, I ha we have one final question. Um, so, we, so what tips do you have for people that are passionate about creating a better world for animals? Um, I, I mean, I think for me, you know, it really comes down to really recognising that there are different forms of activism. You know, they've got, we've got the street activism, we've got corporate campaigning, and then we've got um, legal action as well. Um, you know, that street activism and that one-on-one -on -one communication can really be done by anybody. Um, you know, it could be as simple as handing out flyers on the street. Um, I mean, that's what originally changed me. Um, it could be holding a TV on the street like some of those AV groups are doing. Um, but, you know, if you're a more shy person, it could be writing flyers, it can be writing books. Um, a friend of mine just sent me one of her books. She's asked me to do um, a blurb about it. Um, you know, there are so many different forms of that kind of individual behaviour change activism and education that anybody can do. Um, and, then on, and then the other style of activism is corporate activism. So you look at groups like Animals Australia who are making major strides in these areas, focusing on ensuring that corporations have ethical policies in place, um, that they no longer financially support certain industries where there's cruelty to animals. Um, you only need to look at their campaign on caged eggs and trying to make sure that companies aren't using caged eggs so that we can make sure that you know caged eggs isn't a viable business model. Um, and so there's that kind of activism. And then, of course, there's the legal activism. And I, and I guess I've been involved in all three. Um, I probably started with that street activism and, and educating people in the street and starting those conversations. Um, and I moved into a lot of corporate activism when I was working at animal liberation and wild animal protection. Um, and then now I'm sort of more involved in the legal aspect here in Parliament. Um, but I'll let Tess talk a little bit more about that sort of legal activism side because that's kind of her, her main area. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, obviously, as I said, my um, journey to where I am now started with an animal law class. So I definitely recommend that if you are a law student getting involved in taking one of those courses, I think there's about 16 different universities offering animal law as a subject now. And I think that's such an amazing grounding. Similarly, you know, doing my training overseas, I think just, you know, learning as much as you can and making sure that, you know, you're able to be useful to whoever you're helping. So in my role with Emma now, you know, I've learned a lot through that education and training that I'm able to be useful in my role here. Um, I also really recommend reaching out to groups working in the animal law space and getting involved. Um, I know it can be a bit intimidating when you're 
starting out, but you know, everyone's always looking for help and volunteers and it's so nice to connect with a community of people who's doing similar work that, that, that you're doing. So there's groups like the Animal Defenders Office, the Animal Law Institute, Voiceless, the New South Wales Young Lawyers, Animal Law Committee, and of course, K&R Animal Law is doing great work in this space. So I think just reaching out to groups who you're interested in and seeing how you can support the work that they're doing um, is a really great way to get involved, particularly when you're starting out. Thank, thanks so much for your, your tips. They're really useful tips. And I think, I think your last point, Tess, on finding a community of people who are, who are like-minded is actually really important in this space. Uh, so I definitely endorse that, that comment. Now, does anyone else have anything they want to say? Ashritha, did you want to ask any questions? Yeah, I did. I did. Firstly, thanks so much. I've enjoyed this call so much. It's been amazing to hear all the incredible work you guys have been doing. And I've been following it on social media, but it's so cool to hear it from you directly. Um, I was just wondering, actually, like, in light of all the work that you've done, have you found that it's easier to implement better animal welfare policies around, like, one animal versus another? Or are the barriers to animal welfare policies more sort of... Um, homogenous in the sense that, for example, it might be harder to save established industries versus like uh, one-off acts of cruelty. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely a big divide and I guess it all comes down, it all comes down to numbers. Um, and so when you look at our numbers, um, it's not too difficult on most issues to get the Greens on side. Um, it's a little bit harder to get Labor on side, but Labor can be on side for a lot of what I guess we would consider um, campaigns and issues that the public and the community broadly support. Um, but that doesn't give us the numbers to get things to pass. If we want to pass things in the upper house and get much broader support, we need either One Nation or the Shooters or the Christian Democrats. Um, which are all, you know, quite hard right-wing conservative parties. Um, so, you know, if, if we're talking about issues around dogs, um, that's a little bit easier. It's, you know, we can get the Christian Democrats or we can get One Nation on side for some of those protection issues. Or, um, you know, because it's always very difficult to get the government on side. Um, and it's not even so much the Liberal Party, it's usually the National Party, that just seem to have this policy of no animal protection improvements um, while they're in power. So, uh, I mean, you would have seen we were um, trying to fight a bill that was, um, you know, basically going to lift the lid to allow people to just kill koalas. Um, I, I mean, I know that was, is that a rather brute um, description of the bill? But I mean, essentially, the, 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 if the bill had passed, it would have, you know, it eventually brought the extinction of koalas forward in, in Australia. Um, so, you know, I mean, that's kind of what we're up against. So, yes, maybe koalas, wildlife, dogs are a little bit easier. Um, the hardest animals to advocate for are fishers and um, animals in the animal agribusiness industry. Um, that's not to say that we can't get somewhere with some of those issues, um, but it's much, much more difficult. Um, so, you know, we're, we're kind of trying to split our time between things that we can win because we can get the numbers across the line and also making sure that we're still bringing those issues to the table so that those animals aren't forgotten. 
Yeah, that's so, that's so interesting, and I'm really looking forward to hearing about the species and uh, discrimination on the basis of species that, that you guys are bringing in next year. I think that'll do wonders in terms of like dealing with some of those barriers. Mm, absolutely. Mm. Tess and Emma, on behalf of members of the animal protection movement, and of course on behalf of animals, thank you so much for everything you are doing for animals. Thank you so much for all your incredibly hard work. You guys are truly inspiring. Lovely. Thank, thank you. you so much. <laughs> thanks, guys. And thanks again to everything you guys do as well. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's our absolute pleasure. Thank you for joining us today. We hope that you learned something. If you enjoyed the podcast, please consider subscribing and we hope that you can join us for our next episode.